everybody. No, no, I don't know where you are. I don't know. Were you in your car? Are you down the gym? Are you making, I don't know, dinner for the kids or whatever? Well, hopefully you're not making dinner for the kids because really there's only one time you should be listening to this particular episode. It is, of course, over your Sunday brunch. Uh, we're a Juicy Ace actually recording this, so I can only imagine how much my next guest is actually dreaming of a bit of Sunday brunch. Yes, I can, of course, only be talking about, he's an entrepreneur, TV presenter, and chef extraordinaire. It is, of course, the one, the only, it's Simon River, everybody, yeah. come on. Yeah. Lovely to be here. Little Sunday brunch reference, obviously. Thank you, nicely go, done. Nicely done, wasn't it? Yeah. I know, yeah, there yeah. you go. It took me all of a minute to come up with that, which is good. Listen, I was reading some stuff about you this morning. Literally, how I normally do this kind of podcast is I just get information sent to me on the morning. Hopefully, most of it is true. Otherwise, I look like a bit of a plum, as always. And obviously, this is a health and fitness podcast fundamentally, but it's also kind of an entrepreneur business podcast too, in the sense of I'm always fascinated about what genuinely drives people and what drives them on to achieve. Now, you're here, you pointed out on the walk this morning, and a lot of people don't realize this with Juicy Oasis, because of course, you don't need to lose weight, you're in great shape, and you're a chef. So of course, you must, I mean, before you come to something like Juicy Oasis, presumably, I don't know, but I'm guessing... You get a lot of stick for it because people don't understand it, I guess. Well, if you sort of think, you know, I've known you for many years, Jason. I'd always poo-pooed the idea of it. I don't know if it's me, don't it's me. And you kept saying to me, just come and try it. See what you think. When you're coming out here, obviously the first thing people think you've never been is I'm going to be starving. And that doesn't happen at all. And I still don't quite know why. I've still not quite worked that out in my head. Why somebody who loves food and works with food all day long, that I'm not hungry. Don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean I don't think about food, but I genuinely don't ever have hunger pangs, which is quite strange. But there is something incredibly magical about this place. And the minute you walk in here, it's almost as if someone lifts that massive weight of stress and burden from you and says, you know what? It's okay. And that's what it does for me. The first time I came out, I could only manage to come for four days. And I texted you straight after being and said, it was just magical. I don't quite know what it is. The location is beautiful. Obviously, the, the whole place itself is, is so fantastic. But it has a tremendous quality. And I don't come here to lose weight. No. You know, we it's, don't it's, need it's a byproduct. I like the control being taken away from me. So every day, like anybody, then you sort of think, right, what am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? When am I going to eat it? Something lovely about being here, when what happens is I'm told that go and get your juice at 10.30, then there's another one at 12.30, then blah, 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 and then the soup at kind of 6.45. And I really like that control being taken away. I liked what you said this morning as well, when somebody asked you yesterday, I think they texted you or whatever the case was, and said they can't quite grasp their head around, well, what, what, but what do you do? You know, well, don't you watch Netflix? And... I think you said to me this morning, what is the point then? Of the whole point is yeah. to get away, isn't it? Yeah, I deliberately don't do it because obviously you have TVs in room, but you don't have kind of TV channels on them. But obviously we've got internet. So if I wanted to sit and watch TV or whatever all day long, I could do it. I sort of feel the best way to get the best out of Juicy for me is that one, I come on my own. So I can be completely selfish, although probably people say I'm <laughs> um, And then the other thing being that you then embrace what it's about. It's about actually a change of environment, a change of scenario, a change of what you're doing. So to then sit and go, well, I'll just catch up on a bit of telly because I've got, you know, iPlayer, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever. It seems the wrong thing to do for me. And I like to embrace it. I like to have severe moments of tranquility when you're sitting there literally doing nothing, which I really enjoy. 
Because this is the complete antithesis of your life. When I say the complete antithesis, it really is. I mean, if you talk about people that literally are on the go all the time. I mean, you've got your restaurant business. I mean, I've been to a beautiful one in Dubai called The Scene. If you ever get a chance to go there, it is the business. Well, thank you. No, it really is. Not only is it in one of the most stunning locations you've ever seen in your life over the marina, but it's just chill. I like the way it's kitted out and it's just chilled. And it's pretty cool. I, I was there last week, actually. Oh, would you? Speaking of never stopping, yeah. It's re- yeah, exactly, never stopping. And, you know, and then there's a the flight involved there's this but also the biggest commitment of course you have which is why you travel here late on a Sunday most people arrive on the Saturday but of course you choose not to because of course you do the show Sunday brunch yeah. which is live it, I mean, for it, it's, it's <laughs> three the, hours it's right the, or? it's the best job in the world I mean Tim and I got really lucky so 13 years ago the BBC commissioned 10 episodes of a show called Sup for the Weekend so we are now 13 years down the line we have been on a every single week for the last 13 years and we've moved channels. And we didn't even miss a week. When we moved from BBC Two to Channel Four, we didn't miss a week when it changed to Sunday brunch. See, I didn't know that. I knew that BBC had changed from something for the weekend. Was Louise read that part of it at some That's point? That's right. So, Lou, so it was Tim, Louise Redknapp and, and myself. And then the BBC had 20% cuts of budget. So they lost all of their daytime own origination programming outside of sports and news. And we genuinely thought, well, it'll be us because we were popular. But of course, it was a very black and white decision. So we were very fortunate that Channel 4 asked Tim and I if we want to kind of basically do... It's a completely different programme, obviously. It has no similarities. No, of course not. No, so in, case weekend, any lawyer, in, case, in case there's any lawyers. You had, um, you had food, um, celebrity guests and music. Sunday Brunch has celebrity guests, music and food. Yeah, it's so it's completely opposite. different. Of course it is. Yeah, there is, there is no similarity completely with Completely flip programs. reverse. Yeah, yeah. So, so we just, but we've genuinely been on air every week for 13 years. There aren't too many dynamic duos, which a lot of people refer to you guys as, the dynamic duo. It's not only have you been on air for 13 years, nonstop, you know, every single week, but it's a long live show. I mean, you, you think yeah, of three most, hours, yeah. You know, you think of something like the one show and you've got half an hour and it's, you know, there's a lot of things, but, but you guys, but you also hold it together. Yeah. You know, if you haven't seen it, right, it's a show, if you're listening from other parts of the world, you can still tap into it. So a show called Sunday Brunch, you have to see it because it is the most eclectic mix you think the one show, I mean, those that don't know the one show either, but if you know the one show, you think, oh, well, how can they go from one item to another? And it seems very random. Nothing compared to Sunday Brunch. I think Sunday Brunch invented that format way before the one show even thought about it. You can literally be talking about anything, something to do with oysters or whatever the case is. And then somebody goes and sings a song and then somebody does this and they're not connected. No. None of the... <laughs> But I think, I think the, the best thing about Sunday Brunch, because it's a long show, we've been very fortunate that Channel 4 and our production team, they understand the fact that what Tim and I like more than anything is for it to be not about us. We want it to be about the guests that we've got on and about our viewers. It's a very interactive show as well. So, for example, I had a guest on a while ago who said to us just before she was coming on air, oh, after this, I'm going to go to John Lewis because I want to get a new bedroom carpet and I can't decide. I've got samples with me. So we said... Can we mention that on the show? She goes, if you want. So at the top of the show, we sort of go, blah, 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 blah. And I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was. I said, I'm just going to go get a new carpet. I said, you got your carpet? She goes, yeah, they're in my bag. So we said, we go and grab her bag. So her bag was on set. So we were on a live television show. So we hold up three samples of beige carpet and ask our viewers what they think. 
And those are the best moments. The joy of it is when you get, say, an American guest on who doesn't, because the States don't have that format. They don't have magazine shows like that. And obviously we're quite arbitrary anyway. And you see them sitting there thinking, <laughs> are we actually on? Is this, is this actually being broadcast now? I think I'm like most people. It is the Sunday show. I mean, it's the only Sunday show, I would say. And you're, you're sitting around chilling on a Sunday morning. And who's your best guest? Best guest you've ever had? Um, I mean, that's, would you I mean, say? You, ha you have recurring guests. I mean, we've been very lucky that we've had some amazing people. We've had Jeff Goldblum on the other week. Oh, he's and lovely. for a Sunday morning daytime show on Channel 4 that runs for three hours to get was he Jeff there the whole time? He was there for two of the three hours because he had a gig the night before. Set on it, the, around the marble table. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. That he is there for kind of two hours is incredible. So things like that are, are proper kind of like, wow. I think always I'd go down the route of Bob Mortimer, Vic Reeves, yeah. are always <laughs> the greatest people that you have on because, because you have no idea what they're going to do. You know, I think I'm arbitrary. They live on a different planet. They absolutely do. And they're Doesn't hilarious. Bradley Walsh do the same though? Is it Bradley Walsh that goes off sometimes? Bradley Walsh is always brilliant. He goes off on a tangent. And then Giles Brandt is always brilliant because he's such a great wordsmith. Uh, and then Keith Lemon. People like Keith Lemon, who are fantastic broadcasters, and they know that they make our producers edgy, nervy, because they think, but he is a consummate pro. He knows when to stop. He takes you right to the wire. Are you sure stopped. he knows where to stop? Well, on our show, he doesn't think, because he's respectful. You okay. know, he'll be very, very cheeky, but he'd never do anything that would jeopardise the integrity of the show. Have you ever interviewed a guest where you vehemently disagreed with them about something, like vehemently? What I find more and more these days is that food is used in a, an incredibly arbitrary way that somebody will read something on the internet and they'll sort of go, okay, well, I've discovered that if I don't eat any food that begins with the letter Y, I'll live to 300 and I will never ever have a cold again. And you will hear people say that and you think, I really want to just jump down your throat and say that. It's complete utter nonsense. Those are the things I think that are harder. I think, you know, because we're, we're a very, very laid back show. There's, we never really have anything that's particularly contentious, but there are opinions that people might have that you'll go, wow, that's based on no fact whatsoever. And most of them do tend to be roundabout food, I'll, I'll be honest. And they are. I did a podcast with called Ian Marbury as well, and he does this thing every week called Nutribollocks, right? Hashtag Nutribollocks, and, and has a, a poll on it. And... We have a lot of similar views and the challenge that I have sometimes, of course, is that especially if I have a short amount of time with somebody, is that they will think that I'm in that category. They will immediately think, well, he's the juice guy and he thinks that if you don't juice, then you're going to die or whatever the case is, yeah. uh, which couldn't be further from the truth. Now, I equally get, and you give a great example, if, if it ends in a Y, and, and it is as arbitrary as that. It is nonsensical, as idiotic as that. And do you think with Instagram in particular or social media channels, it's getting worse? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think the thing that I think is dangerous about the way in which we think about food is the whole thing about intolerances and allergies. We would go, I'm allergic to, I'm gluten intolerant. They're not. I'm not saying there aren't people who are, but I think what happens is if people say, I'm gluten intolerant, what they mean is, I actually don't feel great if I eat wheat. Therefore, I choose not to do it. That is not the same as being gluten intolerant. So if you're seriously gluten intolerant, I think you're doing a disservice to those people and it makes it more difficult for them. I mean, the, the whole restaurant thing now, you know, we have allergens, we have allergies, which is massively, massively important. But I think it's a really serious subject. And you have people who go, yeah, I, I, yeah, I am actually, yeah, I'm, I'm allergic to celery. You're not. <laughs> you, you know, I'm not super, but no, I, no, think, no, I, I think what it does, it means that people who have a genuine allergy, a genuine kind of complaint, a genuine issue, then it 
undersells that. And yeah, it does them a disservice. It's, pro- it's proper boy who cried wolf syndrome. No, it is. I mean, your first book was the accidental vegetarian. I think. Yeah, that, was that the first book you did? And was it because at the time you were a vegetarian? I didn't intend to be a vegetarian because I believe you're not a vegetarian now. No, but at the time were you? And for no, of so, time? so the title came really because my first restaurant was Veggie, which I still have greens, which is now 29 yeah, years old. Yeah, your first one. Yeah, yeah. 29 um, years old, still going. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. rare in the restaurant business. Yeah, hugely, must be fantastic. Hugely. I need to visit it. We basically, my business partner Simon and I, when we were looking for a restaurant, we had no money. This is going back to 1990. We had no money. We need to find something that was cheap, and we went to see lots and lots of places, and then this little veggie calf came on the market and we managed to persuade a bank to lend us the money. So we always sort of say, if it had been a Turkish restaurant, then we would have owned a Turkish restaurant. The location was great. And we thought, you know what, let's give it a go. So we were accidental vegetarians in the fact that we never intended to open a vegetarian Because restaurant. it was already in that genre. Yeah, it was, it was already oh, in calf. I see. And yeah. I was a vegetarian calf. So you thought, well, let's just keep it as it yeah. is. And yeah. I've done. But then you did a book inspired on the calf that you owned. That's it, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd be going for about probably five, six years by the time that book came out. Going back to 1990, veggie food is very different now. Now veggie food is so mainstream. It's so much easier to get great, good quality veggie food in all restaurants. When we opened in 90, veggie food, I felt had a very negative standpoint. So the standpoint of veggie food, I always felt was, what can't I eat? Yes, right. okay, that's a good, so, that's a good you know, distinction. So I can't eat fish, I can't eat meat, I can't eat blah, 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 blah. So I felt as a carnivore, I just love food. So why don't we just celebrate what we can eat rather than say, and none of this food contains. Which <laughs> yeah. is what it, all veggie restaurants back then would qualify what they didn't contain. So, so why don't we just celebrate magnificent produce, magnificent ways of cooking. And I think also we use techniques that nobody was using. Veggie food is quite worthy. Nobody quite knew what to do. This all tend to be a bit brown with too many flavours in it and a bit kind of... Heavy. Bit, it's quite yeah. heavy. Heavy, exactly. It's very so heavy. It's like, you know, just to, to fill people up. And I just went, let's look at cuisines around the world that don't even use the word vegetarian, but have great dishes with no meat and fish in them. So, you know, Mediterranean cuisine being a prime example, Indian food, Southeast Asia. So some really great starting points for it. And that was really where we began, rather than trying to replace meat, because veg to veg kind of doesn't work really so rather than trying to replace it just try and create good dishes na- you joke that's a good name for restaurant <laughs> yeah that's yeah. actually probably is now that is actually a good yeah. now that would store yeah. veg and two veg and I, and I think you know now you, you look at it and go it has changed so much but back then you know it was very much a different plan and we, you know we went from the standing start in 1990 1992 the Guardian described us was one of the most exciting new restaurants in the UK. We were a 28 cover BYO veggie restaurant in the South Manchester suburb, owned by two guys who taught themselves to cook. Is it still a BYO? Uh, No. So now we're bigger. Now we're not a BYO and we're now 90 covers. So we built backwards and then we bought sideways. Is Green's a chain? No, you've kept it as a very unique. Yeah, it's a one-off. Sam and I then opened a couple of other restaurants, which were never as successful as Green's. Green's was unique. It has a high skill set that you need to cook good veggie food. And also the location was quite important. You know, you need to have a demographic, you know, and the right kind of chimney pots around you that will come. It's not about saying, okay, you know, we can fill up Friday and Saturday night. It's like, what about a freezing cold, rainy Tuesday night in February? What is going to make people come to a veggie restaurant? Who inspired, uh, corny questions I know, but I'm really fascinated by it because somebody who's an entrepreneur, like, you, you know, you could easily, you and I know this, you could just do your show, right? You know, you could just do your show and have a reasonably comfortable life. I'm not saying you get paid a fortune for the show, but you, but you can have a reasonably comfortable life and a life will be good. You're not built that way, right? You're no. just not. And the same thing, you know, other people might say to you, well, well, you could just ease back a bit. 
And I always have this theory that you can't, I mean, I get that from Kate sometimes, says, well, why don't you just ease down? The same thing that got you to where you are, right? The same thing that gets you out of bed every day, you can't switch it off. No. You, it, it, it's one of those, so you, so you have to embrace it. Did somebody inspire you in terms of cookery? Or did it something you fell into? And if you weren't doing cookery, what else would you be doing? Oh, I think there's sort of two parts of it. I think that the person I am in terms of ambition, I think probably my dad is the reason I do what to do in the way that I do it. So my dad, who's still around, my dad's 86, fantastic human being. He was a metallurgist when he worked and he never really liked his job. He went to work. My dad always wanted to be a carpenter, but his parents wanted him to have a skill rather than a trade. So he ended up going to uh, going to university and becoming a metallurgist, which he never really loved. Part-time, he used to make furniture. And he always said to me from an early age, he said, I always wish I'd never worked for anybody. I always wish I'd just worked for myself. So I am now 56 and I've never had a job. You look phenomenal, by the way. I didn't know you were 56 and I, and I don't do false flattery. In fact, sometimes it gets me in trouble when, when I do the opposite, in fact. But you look phenomenally well. So I'm guessing health is important. It's not just all genetics. Huge. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. a good day. Yeah. In the life of Simon Rib, because it won't be a good day every day, but a good day if you went, right, this is what I do three, four days a week. This is a good day. Okay. I'm happy when I have a good health day in the life okay. of Simon Rib. So, all right. So a good day for me is I'll get up at six o'clock and then I'll push around till seven. Then I'll box. Uh, your box? No, I'm not interrupting your day already. Your box. Yeah. I didn't know your box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spar as well. Do you? Yeah. In the new retreat we're building, we're putting a boxing ring in. I love it. It's one of the greatest things. Well, basically, I've got kind of dodgy knees. And so a friend of mine said, why don't you try boxing? So I started boxing two and a half years ago now, and I box three times a week. So so have you got a punch bag at home? So you wake up, or do you go to a gym? No, I go to a gym. And so, ah. so you go to a yeah. first thing in the morning? Yeah. That must be so good for your mental health as well. No, Brilliant. Like, I mean, I'm sure. Absolutely right. Because... Yeah. Genuinely, because the two are connected. Absolutely Physical right, and mental yeah. health have so, to be connected. So I'll, I'll do 12 to 15 rounds every time. Really? Yeah. Every time we go, three minute well, rounds. Proper, you do three minute rounds. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening and you've never done boxing, I used to Bradford Boys Club back in the day, back in Peckham, right, where I grew up, and Camberwell Boxing Club. And there was one on the Old Kent Road as well, right? The Lions. Three minutes. I don't think people understand the magnitude of it. It's incredibly it is hard. Un people that talk about hit training these days and everything else. You do three minutes in a boxing, forget fighting, like you said, you're sparring, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, even if you had a punch bag and you just went yeah. for it for three minutes and then waited, because in between sessions, in between, sorry, in between rounds, is how long? A minute. There's nothing. Yeah. So your recovery is nothing. And you do how many rounds? 12 or 15. Oh my, 15 was old school. Yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. That, that was like yeah. the proper heavyweight yeah. we do 15. I never do 15 rounds of sparring, but we might do 15 three-minute rounds. So sometimes we'll do some kind of warm-up work and some weights. Well, do you look well? Yeah. So, so, so this so that, is a good day. Yeah. So you do that. So that'd be, that'd be my perfect. So that, that'd be the start. Have you eaten already at this point? I'll have a banana. Okay. Before best sports food on planet Earth. I've always said it. Yeah. I think it's the best sports food on planet yeah, Earth. Yeah, that's all I'll have. I'll have a banana, then I'll do my boxing. And then the guy that boxes with, then we'll go and have a coffee. So we'll sit in Starbucks and we'll chew Other the fat. coffee shops, I yeah, and talk nonsense for kind of for about 45 minutes. Then I go home, get a shower. So that then takes me up to about sort of 10 o'clock. And then I'll go into work. It depends. I have 15 restaurants, so it depends which Gee, one I'm going to go into. 15 now? Yeah. I didn't realise you. Yeah. Oh, God, as you do. Say, for example, so if, we, if we're going on good day, so I'll go into Albert Schloss, which is our biggest site in the middle of Manchester. I'll have breakfast there. So I'll have a breakfast meet with my chefs. Over this stage, we're at kind of half 10, quarter to 11. And then that'll take until about sort of half 11, 12. We'll plan our day. Then, because fundamentally, I work on development now. We'll then play, which is still the greatest thing to do. So we'll go and we'll get, you know, pretty ingredients and we'll cook things and we'll taste things and we'll look at stuff that's going on. And then it might well be in the afternoon, 
some of the greatest things that happen are when you have guys who started with you who have been 16 years of age and have never even been to college, have never even held a knife. And then they're now 19 and you're sitting down and say, listen, we want to promote you. We want to move you out of this site, move to another one because you are a superstar from working with us. Then you'll do a bit of that. Then I'll probably end up at another site. I will probably... If it's an ideal day, I'm going to have the night off. Can I have the night off? Yeah, you've got okay, the night fine. off. Yeah, so yeah. then I'll get home about half six, seven, cook something, probably fish. And then I will sit on the sofa with a cup of tea, if I'm being good, or a beer, if I'm not, <laughs> and watch the crappers telly that I can possibly Well, I was going to say, what is the worst? So breakfast for you on a good day is you have a banana. That's where yeah. you broke your fast, which is, I, I'm all for exercising on an empty snack. I'm a yeah. huge fan of it. I think it's the best thing you can do, I, I believe anyway. But a banana, you just get a little bit of energy, especially if you're doing 15 rounds. Then, of course, you've got the beauty because you own 15 restaurants. It's a bit like, now, I needed this. I've just arrived at the retreat where we record. And I said to Simon this morning when I saw him on the walk, I, I said, I need this myself. And what's beautiful when you develop something that you genuinely wanted yourself so you develop menus that you want to eat yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. point like you got excited a minute ago and you go and then we play and your, your whole persona changed yeah. and that's why you're never going to stop because it's such a passion for you you just love it but what the beauty is like people say oh how do you juice so much Jason well lucky enough I've got a juice delivery business so I haven't got to make juice and I've also come to my retreat where I never make a juice here at all yeah. and so you've got to go and get your breakfast yeah Somebody made it for you. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> there yeah. you go. It's just like, and what sort of breakfast is? It depends. But I mean, what, what after um, your boxing and something like that? So, I, I mean, my favourite thing on we have day. on there. We have a really beautiful homemade granola with Greek yogurt, roasted peaches, and honey, which is just beautiful. I probably have that as my go-to more than ever. Obviously, because I'm a TV tosser, then <laughs> avocado on toast is kind of essential. Or, or sometimes I'll go for the full TV tosser, which is avocado on toast and a flat white. <laughs> Yeah, but don't forget the chilli flakes. Uh, and come on. Jason, I'm assuming they're on there. I mean, you can't just assume. You also have to assume that they're not just spread on. The avocado has been smashed. Of course it's been no, smashed. No, I mean, let's not. It's a word that was, I, do you know what? I don't know when it happened. When I was looking at a menu one day and all of a sudden it was, yeah, I've got smashed avocado yeah. on rye bread. Always rye bread. Don't even mess around, right? What do you have? This is you the see, very Vogue Notting Hillers. I mean, this is good. You see, sourdough was pretty popular. Sourdough. Yes, I'm wrong. Yeah. I am wrong. It's yeah. sourdough. Oh, I'm not up with it. Actually, I've been yeah. corrected massively. People yeah. would have been listening going, what is he talking about? Rye bread. It's God. sourdough, of course. I, I always knew Jason would have been very cool. He's just proved it, hasn't he? Just in just one word of the wrong type of bread. <laughs> it's just the wrong type of bread. That's it. And I, I, did, I didn't know about sourdough. This is a <laughs> smashed avocado. I felt sorry for the avocado at that point. I wasn't sure whether it had been physically abused. But I mean, they are. Nice. So that would be the second choice. So I'll have me granola or I'll have that. Or if I'm feeling like, you know what, I just want to have a bit of indulgence, I'll have a bacon butty. You know, I eat well, but equally the times when I really don't eat well. And equally, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a bacon butty. But that's right. the point. The point is, I've always said, if people have read all of my book till the end as well, as I say, louder, because sometimes people read the beginning and go, oh, I'm surprised you do that, or whatever the case yeah. is. And you go, it's also about being intelligent in terms of the body can deal with a certain amount of anything, yeah. right? A certain amount of anything. And it's what you do the majority of the time that determines your health. I mean, there's no question. Um, I'm surprised you have a bacon, uh, yeah. but, and you don't have a pulled pork. Well, this is the point I want to, I want to come on to this. For those that don't know, we have the inventor. This should have been off the bat. I don't even know why I, I didn't introduce you as, I mean, to invent something yeah. as iconic yeah. as pulled pork. Now, let me ask you a question. Are there any people disputing the fact that you 
Well, I don't know. I'll be, I'm asking the question. Well, well, apparently in the United States, they claim that it was invented somewhere around the turn of the 20th century, about sort of 1905. Um, but I think that's just coincidence, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I know that I created it in the Sunnybrook studios about sort of six and a half, seven years ago. I know that, that for a fact. Did you invent it live? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course you did. That's the first time anybody ever pulled puck. But now it's all over the world. You know, it, it's massive in the well, States it's now. Incre- I mean, I'm I, I'm surprised yeah. it's just not called Simon's Puck. No, the, you can't have that. The, no, the, the, Simon's Pull Puck. The, the funniest thing that happens with the pull Puck thing, because of course, obviously, it's a complete utter lie. I honestly didn't know it was... Now I'm making out that not only am I uncool, but I'm also stupid. <laughs> but I don't... Well, we, we did it on the show. such conviction. Yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. We did it on the show, and... This is going back to this is well before the pull pork craze happened. And I don't know why, it must have been time and place. It, to this day, it's still one of the most downloaded recipes in the history of Channel 4. And Tim and I were just really, really going over the top about it. And so somebody changed Wikipedia to say that I invented it. So it was up there for a good while that I was the inventor of pulled pork. And this one guy just wouldn't let it up all the time. It was going like, you still claim you invented pork, you didn't invent pulled pork. So, uh, and then I said, no, I, I did, you know, it was definitely me that did it. And he said, he said, pulled pork has been around as long as pigs have been around. And my reply to him was, my grandfather invented pigs. <laughs> also, I mean, as much as your varied career has happened, but also you did, you've done a few television gigs, obviously along the way, but... Strictly Come Dancing, which is relatively recent. So I, I watched it because you were on it, right? Obviously. I right? must admit, I don't get Strictly. I don't know why. I don't get it. And it came back. I thought, that's never going to take off. Well, <laughs> prove me wrong. Tell me, highlights, lowlights. All right. Well, well, first of all, I'd never really expressed any desire to do it. I knew lots of people who'd done it. So I'm quite friendly with like, like Sir Robbie Savage, Caroline Flack. And everybody I knew that had done it previously said, if you ever get asked to do it, do it. I said, but I can't dance. It doesn't matter. It's an incredibly positive experience. So... At the time, I was 54. So you then sort of think, as a 54-year-old man who's never danced, then that's put yourself properly outside of your comfort zone. And I remember having a conversation with my wife the week before it was starting. She goes, right, she goes, I've just been thinking about what's actually happening here. She said, so you can't dance. You've never danced. You don't even dance at weddings. You don't like dancing. So the first time in your entire adult life that you're going to dance is live on national television in front of 12 million people. So when I got asked to do it, I thought, you know, I'm just going to embrace it. And, you know, I, I can't dance it, but I was favourite to go out the first week and I lasted till week six. Yeah. Was you on the dance-off? At the, uh, I had three dance-offs. I can't remember, I yeah. Two dance-offs and, and lost one. And I thought if I could get past week one, I was happy. So I got to week six and that was fine. I was ready to go. It was the right time for me to go. But it was everything everybody said. Such a positive experience. And did you, I mean, presumably you get a lot fitter while you're doing it. And this, I, mean, like, I, like, I, I lost about a stone and a half in the six weeks. Yeah, I heard it. Could you like, train six hours a day? Do you? Five, if not six days a week. But you see, the way you succeed at Strictly is it has to be a full-time job. When well, I was, I was going to how did you find the time to do that? Well, that's the thing. I was sort of doing Sunday brunch every week. You so still I did would, that? Yeah. So I would finish in studio for Strictly at 1.30 in the morning. I'd get back to the hotel at 2. I'd be up at half five to do Sunday brunch. And then I was also doing a show called Tricks of the Restaurant Trade for Channel 4 at the same time. So I was filming that. I also have 15 restaurants. So... I also had to train on a Sunday afternoon after Sunday brunch. Otherwise, I didn't have enough hours in the week to do it. The hardest day that we had. So there's one morning when Karen, who who danced with, who is just the most patient, fantastic human being ever. We trained from eight in the morning till 11 in the morning. 
Then I went and uh, filmed for Trisha Restaurant Trade from 11 till 4. I then trade again with Karen from 4 until 8. Then I went back and did a last little bit of filming with Trisha Restaurant Trade, 8 till 10. Karen and I then got in a car from London, drove to Liverpool. We got to Liverpool at 2 in the morning. We were then up at 6 in the morning because we were filming at Anfield for one of the VTs we were doing for the dance that we were doing. We filmed at Anfield at 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock, got back on a train to London, got back into London at 12, and then trained 12 till 8 at night. Lazy. <laughs> so I'm looking through notes here and again I mean that was a very physical thing strictly come dancing but then of course mental agility well you can't get anything more intense than mastermind yeah. here's what I love your spe- <laughs> your specialised subject was history of Tranmere Rovers yeah well I wanted to do Liverpool because I'm a big Liverpool fan but somebody had done it in the previous series and because I'm a Birkenhead boy then in the 70s Tranmere used to play Friday night and Liverpool or Everton would play on the Saturday so if you lived on the Wirral then you would go and see Tranmere on a Friday because it was 40 pence in the boys pen and then you'd watch Liverpool on a Saturday so they were my sort of second team they still are you know I still have a great deal of affection for them so I did that I came second Kay Adams beat me and obviously it sort of showed the different levels of intellect. So I did the history of Tramway Rovers. She did the history of the suffragette movement. Very similar. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can choose anything, right? Yeah. You can, I would choose yeah. the history of Friends, obviously. I mean, the well, you could. I mean, you, can, I mean, you, you could do could. it. But then they ask you obscure questions. Yeah. So they would say, well, well, the writer of Friends once had a dog that he bought in January of what year? <laughs> you know, and you're just like, well, actually, that wasn't the Friends question that I thought was going to happen. So anyway, there you go. I did that. And I also did Pointless, which was a great thing. I won Pointless. Did you? So who's the most pointless chef that you know? Myself. Actually not, to say the least. I'm reading stuff here just before we close this stuff. I love this though. I mean, hopefully this is correct. I'd love this to be true because titles of books I'm fascinated by. I love it. My cookbook was going to be called There's More to Life Than Quinoa, right? Because I just think it was a great title for <laughs> yeah. the book. Um, but in the end we didn't, but we should have done. Men like pies, women like hummus. Yeah. Genuine book? Yeah, it was a genuine book. Unfortunately, it's a really beautiful book. And unfortunately, it got really slammed for kind of having a sexist title. And that was never the intention. So basically, each of the chapters had a title that was based around a daft little story. So the Men Love Pies half of it was basically, I was genuinely sitting on a bus, which is something I rarely do, listening to two old ladies talk. And they were talking about food. They were talking about, you know, what they were going to get for the tea. They're on the way to the supermarket. And this woman said, oh, yeah, I saw this lovely thing on the telly. It was like some kind of Greek blandish, blah, blah, blah. And she rattles on about it. And then this other lady turned around and said, yeah, but men love pies. And that was it. And it just made me love laugh. it. So that was the front half of it. The Girls Like Hummus was a conversation with my sister, which is based around the whole thing about kind of like, you know, she was trying to eat healthily and blah, 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 blah. And I was given some ideas. And again, it was a similar thing. And she goes, yeah, so the thing is, I can't remember though, that Girls Like Hummus. And that was it. So it was two juxtaposition stories. But unfortunately, and I see it now, and I hold my hands up and say, it does sound like it's a very sexist title, but that was never the intention. But I think that's where me and you probably differ a little bit. I don't believe that it is a sexist title. I think it's a title and I think it's a play on words and I think we've reached the point now in the world where actually you can be so far to the point of having to be careful of everything because yeah. you've got to remember offence can only ever be taken it can't be given it's an individual decision whether you take offence yeah. or not Simon it's been a, an honour having you at GCO I mean when you first come the first time I was very surprised that because you, you're a food man and I thought the last thing that you really would do is a week on juice. Now you've clarified many times and even some people don't listen on Twitter or whatever the case is, is that you don't do it for any other reason. And I'm just making it clear that he doesn't do it for any other reason. It's like putting your car in for a service. 
Yeah, but it's more the mental side of it, coming it's away, fantastic. being by the river, having a bit of soup, having some early nights, catching up with some sleep. The juice is a byproduct. It's one of those things. And, you, you know, we just happen to have liquid fuel while we're here. People say you're not having any food and it's just not accurate. It's liquid fuel. But I think it's really important It's while you don't have any food, all the juices are delicious. And if they weren't, if they were kind of, you know, like you'd buy in a supermarket out of a bottle, it wouldn't work. I've been doing this for over 20 years. And, and there is a thought process that has gone behind it. It hasn't just, oh, there's a red juice, there's a green juice, there's a this, because there are a lot of new juice kids on the block that actually think that, and they haven't, you know, studied it, gone around the world, this, that, and the other. I know some healthy people on it, incredibly healthy people that's never seen a juice, of course. Yeah. There are some people that die 105, they were like, goji berry was it, bit them on the ass. I mean, it's just simply, <laughs> and, and that's how it is. Somebody like yourself, who takes health very seriously, but also I think a large part of that health, and I always believe a purpose, an excitement, like you have over food, I think, Whatever brain chemicals that produce, and I honestly, people know that know me, I think it produces better chemicals in order to fight disease or whatever the case is. Broccoli can only dream of what that can do. I honestly believe it. And I often say, are you better off being a genuinely like miserable vegan? I'm not saying vegans are miserable, but imagine you are a miserable vegan. Like you really want to do something else, but you're just doing this vegan thing because you don't really want to do it, but you just think it's better for your health. But if you're depressed doing it, are you better off being a happy McDonald's eater? There's a balance. And obviously in your books, you've got a nice balance. So we've got the Accidental Vegetarian. Although it's in 2004, I would highly recommend it. It's ageless, clearly. It is ageless. Um, And then more from the Accidental Vegetarian. And then if you don't want vegetarian food, there's tons. I mean, I would say even though... Some people, probably about 10 people on Twitter because they were angry, but men like pies, women like hummus. I don't care. I think it's a freaking great title. And no <laughs> doubt I'm going to have people commenting on the podcast and everything else. Thank you very much. The one, the only, the inventor, let's not forget, of Paul Pork <laughs> himself. It is Simon Rex! Thank you. Oh. Thank you.